We're in the book of Ephesians. We're working our way through chapter 4. We're squeezing every bit of the juice out of it. Amen. And I hope you're enjoying it tonight. But we're in chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. I'm going to thank God for the word, and then I'm going to read it to you. And then we're going to just jump in. Father, we thank you tonight for this time where we can come together in the middle of the week as brothers and sisters, and we can worship you. Father, thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Bless them. Multiply their time back to them, Lord. The time that they invest in your kingdom, sitting at your feet, soaking in your word, Lord, multiply it back to them. Bless their finances, their relationships, and everything that concerns them. Let, Let their minds be alert tonight to drink in everything you have for us tonight. Holy Spirit, quicken our minds, quicken our hearts, and allow us to perceive truth tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read 17 through 19. That's our text tonight. So I say this, and I affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluding from the, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, be, they have become callous, say callous, and have given themselves up to indecent behavior, to the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, there's a lot in here tonight. I want you to close your eyes and listen to me read this again. Gary, this is a little loud up here. I just need it to knock down a bit because I'm going to start pumping my voice a little louder. I'm being real gentle now. But close your eyes, bow your heads, and listen. So I say this, and I affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Powerful. And that's because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, this text may have been written thousands of years ago, but it perfectly applies to the condition of humanity right now in the earth. And the reason it does is because the word is alive and it's living, and God understands human nature, and he speaks to us in a way that we can relate to it. What we see going on all around us now is people that have walked away from God. You know, some people call America a post-Christian nation. That, you know, before we, even though people, you know, may have not had a relationship with God or served God, there was this idea of the, you know, the Judeo-Christian ethics that grounded us as a nation so that, you know, we had a morality as a people. That things that, you know, the Bible charged us with, we, you know, if people did them, it was an embarrassment. I think of my grandfather's generation, some of the things that were an embarrassment that if you got caught doing them, everybody knew it and it was embarrassing. Now, people do these things with boldness and shamelessness and, the, and if you don't accept it, you are the one that has an issue. And here, the scripture is telling us not to walk like the Gentiles. Let's, let's jump in here and see. We left off in verse 16 that showed us a picture of the body of Christ and how it was designed to function. I'm just going to recap by reading verse 16. 
We're making a shift of gears here from talking about the body. Now we're talking about the Gentile world. We're going we're gonna to define that in just a minute. But it says this in verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, but with every joint supplied according to the proper working of each individual part, because the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we're talking about the fivefold ministry gifts. We're seeing their purpose, and their purpose was to build up the body so that what? It can function correctly. When we see the body, we are talking about none other than the body of Christ. Most people in our world today are really concerned with their own bodies, how they look, amen? The older you get, the more you want to maintain and capture your youth, the more you think about exercise, and the more you wear a certain type of clothing, uh, black is slimming, amen? I have so much black stuff in my closet. I have a black t-shirt collection that is, you know, and, and, and you're rubbing creams on stuff, and people are getting surgeries, and why? Because they want to maintain... That, that youthful look. And, you know, the truth is that it's not about the physical body, but about the spiritual body. When the spiritual body, the church of Jesus Christ, is working properly and the spiritual gifts are functioning, the body is healthy. <clears throat> this leads us right into the closing section of chapter 4, which deals with the way a Christian should walk and once we've been snatched out of the darkness into the light, we should walk differently. How many can agree with me tonight that as Christians who are saved and washed by the blood of the Lamb, we should be different? Amen. The last verses of chapter 4 will compare and contrast the conditions of the lost with the conditions of those who've become members of the body of Christ through having a relationship with Jesus. And lots of changes should take place. The truth is a lot of changes have taken place in us, you know, as we're walking with the Lord. And sometimes we're the last ones to notice them, amen? You know, when you visit people and you haven't seen their kids in a while, you notice what? Immediately, how much they've grown. And you say to the parents, wow, the kids got so big there. So then and the parents are kind of looking at you like, okay. Because they see them every day and it happens slowly in front of them. But all of us are different that are in Christ. All of us are different who have been born again and are walking in the spirit, amen? And there's a lot of differences in us. There should be if we're saved, amen? So verse 17 gets right into it, and it gets right into the point of drawing our attention to our spiritual walk. Over and over it says, you know, uh, I say this and I affirm you in the Lord that you are not to walk, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. So we're talking about a walk here, and it's, it's a spiritual walk, and that's something that we need to dig into. In a nutshell, the word walk is pointing to the reality of how we, uh, who are born-again believers and saved from sin, should now think, act, feel, and live. Did you hear that? If we're taking notes tonight, and I encourage you to do that, write this down. Think, act, feel, and live. Those are the things that will define our walk. Well, how's my spiritual walk? Well, how do I think? Do I think like a lost carnal person? Do I think about my flesh all the time? Do I think about my belly all the time? Am I always thinking about sensual things? Or do I think like Jesus? You see, these are the things, the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel about things. We should feel differently about things uh, now that we're Christians, amen? We should feel differently about people who struggle with sin, 
We shouldn't look at them and go, oh, I can't believe that. We should look at them and go, there's a way out. Thank God he saved me from my sin, from my addiction, from my struggle, amen. We should think differently. You know, the world tears people down. You know, that oh, you should do this and you should do that and you don't have any discipline and you're a loser and people throw labels on people who struggle. Christians shouldn't do that. If not for the grace of God, that'd be us. So, you know, we think differently, we act differently, we feel differently about things, we live differently. A Christian should have a much different worldview than a, than a lost person. There again, if you're taking notes, write down worldview. God needs to change our perspective about the things of this world. Number two, a Christian should have a much different eternal perspective than a lost person. People are walking around, I don't know where I'm going. I, when I die, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going up or I'm going down or I'm going to hang in the middle. I'm not sure what's going to happen. A Christian should have a much different eternal spectrum. You know, we, we know that this life is just, you know, this, is, this life is not, you know, what we're living for. We're living for the next life. For the Christian, the next life is the best life. Amen. The, our last breath on this side, on this earth, is, gives way to our first breath in heaven. Come on, we got something to look forward to, amen? And we're not walking around, oh, I hope this and I hope that. No, we know that we know that we know because we know it's not based on our performance or our good works, but it's based on the blood of Jesus that saves us and makes us saved, Amen. So a different eternal perspective, a different worldview, and we should have a different moral and ethical code, amen? That was the weakest amen out of all three. Because the church is sometimes in the morality is too much like the world. The divorce rate mirrors the world. The, the, the pregnancy out of wedlock mirrors the world. The, oh, <laughs> amen, it is right. Thank you, brother. We should be different. There's a lot of people running around calling themselves Christians, living like the devil, and, you know, it shames the body of Christ because we're supposed to be different. So, in short, we're to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. So you would say, well, that, that's fine. I don't know any Gentiles. Yeah, you know some Gentiles. So let's talk about that. You know, the Bible uses words, and, we're, you know, maybe we don't use them very much anymore. But the Gentiles are basically, there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. You say, who were the Gentiles? Everyone who wasn't a Jew. And the Jews had a relationship with God through covenant because they were his chosen people. So in the Old Testament, God deals only with the Jews, and everyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. Now, the Jews had access to God. The Gentiles were cut off. If you're not Jewish today... You're a Gentile. You say, well, man, I don't want to be cut off. Well, the good news is that Jesus grafted us in, that we're connected through Abraham to the covenant and all the blessings that go with it. Now it's not Jew or Greek or Gentile, but God looks at everyone, and whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Amen? So it's good to be a Gentile in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. We, I mean, we were estranged from God. So Thank God we're grafted in. When the scripture talks about Gentiles, Paul is bringing up that here. His Jewish audience knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, I want to say something. You know, when you hear Gentiles, I want you to think of people who are lost. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
we don't need to manufacture differences between us and the lost Gentile world. Quiet. Did you get that? That means there should be a difference between us just naturally. That means because I'm in Christ, now I'm out of step with the world. I don't think like the world. I don't act like the world. I don't live like the world. Uh, my morality is different. My worldview is different. Hello? So that's the difference that's between us. We don't have to, when I say we don't have to manufacture differences, I mean we shouldn't put more walls between us than there already are naturally. And I bring that up today because what puts walls between lost people and people who know Jesus is when we manufacture these differences through religiosity. Religion builds walls between the lost and the found, amen? Religion builds walls between the church and the Gentiles. And God didn't call us to build walls. He called us to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they could be saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Man, I wish somebody would say something tonight, amen? Yeah, that's our job tonight. Not to push people away, not to offend people, not to judge people, hello, but to love people. And sometimes I think the church is not doing the greatest job at loving people. There's people who are in all kinds of sin that think, well, the church hates me. The church doesn't like me. The church doesn't want to have anything to do with me. We've got to change that. We have got to change that. Because God's going to hold us accountable for those people that we don't reach. Their blood's going to be on our hands because we're called to reach them. You're not called just to get saved and sit down and have a nice, comfortable life and make yourself, you know, fill your pockets and go on vacation. No, you and I are called to reach people who are hurting, who need the truth that set us free. Amen. So, yeah, there's a difference between the, the people who know Jesus and the Gentile world, but we don't need to manufacture differences the, that, when we do that, that just ostracizes people. That just offends people. That just turns them off. You know, religion manufactures things and, and just makes all of these rules. You know, man-made rules that are not in Scripture, we are under no obligation to live out man-made rules. In fact, the more man-made rules we have in our Christianity, the more that it's not Christianity. We should be biblical Christians. Yet man likes to add his own rules. Some religious systems are all about the rules of man. Some religious systems say, well, our rules are equal to the Bible. Church teaching is equal to Scripture. Really? So you can just make up rules that are equal to the inspired word of God. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I'm not going to follow those rules, and I don't want any part of those rules because that's religion, and that turns people off. And Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you make it difficult for people to come to God. Wow. The religious crowd was actually making it harder for people to have a relationship with God. So religious rules and the doctrines of men, they manufacture differences. You know, and it's things like don't eat this, don't do that, dress this certain way, don't enjoy life too much. Don't extend grace to certain people. Don't, don't dirt. You know, they have this whole list of things not to do. And then there's things that we should do. Well, you know, religious people say be critical of others, be judgmental, be self-aggrandizing, be exclusive. Come on. You're all quiet tonight. I know it was a hot day. 
we're all tired, but say amen once in a while is good for you. So there's all the don'ts and all the do's of religion, and all that does is build walls between the people that we're called to reach. The things that differentiate us from the lost world around us come as the natural result of us being translated from one kingdom to another, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Our differences manifest not to elevate us or isolate us from other people, but to be a living example of what's possible. Do you know why your life is blessed, Tom? Do you know why you're saved? Do you know why you have the joy of the Lord so so other people who are lost can see it and realize that's possible for me? Amen. We're supposed to be living examples. And not that, yo, God did all these great things in me and gifted me and anointed me so I could, you know, be religiously superior to you. Uh, no, so we can provide people an example that this is possible for you. The, Jesus set me free, but he'll set you free too. Jesus, you know, pulled me out of the muck and the mire and he dusted me off and made me one of his very own children and he'll do the same thing for you. I don't know. We got to get excited about that once again. I don't know what it's going to take for the church to get excited and be the church anymore. Maybe war, maybe persecution, maybe a little starvation. The shelves are emptying up. We're looking like, you know, we're having the effects of socialism. We're going to have $7 gas soon. They're predicting food shortages. I can't wait. There's going to be more amens while I preach because we're not going to be so comfortable anymore. A comfortable church is a lukewarm church, is a useless church. God, excite us, amen. Get us focused on the things that we're here. So we're not, you know, we, we need to think and act and feel and live differently. Verse 17b uh, through 19, it, it can, you know, it's continuing here. I say to you and I affirm in the Lord that you are, are not to no longer what? Walk as the Gentiles. So we're talking about that spiritual walk. Think, act, feel, and live. I want you to get that. In the futility of their minds. Look at that. Verse 17, the last half of it through verse 19, provides us some of the marks of how the Gentiles actually think, act, feel, and live. And it should be different than the church because they're in a fallen situation and we've been redeemed. So there should be some differences. The, the, I want to cover some of them from the text tonight. The first difference is the Gentiles walk in the limited intellectual capacity of man's reasoning look what it says what in the futility of their minds when all you have is your own mental process your own logic your own human reasoning hello that's futile and i'm going to show you why our world worships the intellect do you realize that our world is enamored with smart people the, the, the scientific community, the, the, you know, the, the academic community, the, 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 the science, you know, all these guys. The, the world looks to that, that, you know, the unsaved world looks to that to save them. Technology's going to save us. Man's wisdom's going to save us. The scientists and this, and, you know, we're, we're out there. We got space probes out and shuttles and all these things searching for intelligent life. Why would you think any intelligent life would want to come to this planet and hang out with us? They'd be like, I ain't going down there. Intelligent life, they're looking for it out there. But, but the Bible says what? The futility of their minds. And I want you to see that without God, our thought process, even though the world, 
you know, worships the intellect and people with degrees and diplomas and sky-high IQs, the scientific, the mathematical geniuses, you know, they're revered and they're seen as the, the, the ones who will save humanity. How many movies in Hollywood are about smart people saving the world from asteroids and explosions and invasions and it's all about they got to save the world? Huh. I don't know about you. But my Bible says that 2,000 years ago, a man came named Jesus. He died on the cross and rose again on the third day, and he already saved the world. So the world is saved, amen. <laughs> we got to bring them to the Savior. They're worried about, we're going to save the world. We're going to get invaded. We're going to get hit by asteroids. The end of the world. We're going to burn fossil fuels, and we're going to destroy the planet. You're going to destroy what God made? You're going to break what God created? And God's up in heaven going, they're going to break my stuff. He's got this under control. He's got it under control. All this other stuff is used as a, a charade to manipulate people and, and to get them scared and to get them, you know, to get in their pockets. Come on, God's got the whole world in his hand, amen. I don't know about you. I've read the book of Revelation. I know exactly how this planet is going to come undone. Get your Bible and read it, Amen. And figure out that, you know, man's perspective is futile. They're all, they're, we got to save the planet. We got to knock down our carbon emissions. We got to do this. We can't eat cows, fossil fuels. And blah, blah, blah. <sighs> it's crazy. Mm. Amen. So, and yes, you know, we look at man's intellect, and I'm not scoffing at anybody. I'm not, I'm not downplaying education or smart people. You know, it's amazing what man has been able to accomplish with the intellect that God has given us. Do you see what they've done in medical science? Surgeries that would have laid you up in the hospital for weeks. Now people are doing same-day surgeries. They're doing heart surgery, you know, uh, going through an artery, same-day angioplast, opening up arteries that would have required open-heart surgery and weeks in the hospital if you even made it. Now you're in and you're out. That's amazing. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for science. And, and we should take care of our planet. But we don't need to worship the planet and think that we're in charge and we got to know that's all crazy stuff. But the thing is, man has been able to do some incredible things with the intellect that God has given him. But, you know, man citing his own intellectual abilities and achievements as proof that, you know, we don't need God. We can do this ourselves. That's insanity. That's futility. You say, why? Because who gave us the brain? Who gave us the insight? Who gave us the wisdom to understand these complex things? Who? God did, amen. The creator did. Put a brain in your head, made it a certain size, gave you wisdom to understand complex things, to postulate plausible theories and to engineer workable solutions to incredible problems. When you look at what we've engineered and the things we've done, the bridges we've built and stuff flying into outer space, hello. Yeah, man's got an intellect, but it's all a gift from God. All our advances in medical science, a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. So man's mind all by itself, futile. Yeah, we can do some pretty incredible things, but you know what? We can't save ourselves from sin. 
And so we need God. And all the gifts and all the advancements and all the technology and all the medical science breakthroughs and all the great things that we have, gifts from God. And God deserves the glory. The Gentiles walked in that limited intellectual capacity. The Gentiles also walked in the darkness, uh, in darkness as kind of the basis of their reasoning. Look what it said here, being darkened in their understanding. So we went from the futility of the minds, and then verse 18 says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them. So the mind of man without God is very dark. Can we say amen to that? You know, sadly, in our nation again, we've seen another tragic school shooting here. I know you've, you've heard, most of you must have heard what's going on in Texas. I believe it's 16 young children gunned down in school. How many? Was that including teachers? Okay, so a lot of people. And what's that all about? It's just the wickedness and the darkness of man. What does it take for a person to shoot children? Evil. It's just demonic. We can say it's a mental illness problem, and there it is. You know, you see, you study these things, almost 90% of these mass shooters are on all kinds of psychotropic drugs. They're on all these drugs that they pump into the kids. What do we got? We got unchurched kids these days. We have an unchurched nation. They don't have any morality. Well, someone picked on me. Someone offended me. Said they made fun of me. So I'm going to do this. Insane. What is that? That's the darkness of man's mind. That's, that's man without God. That's a school system that says, oh, no, we don't want God in the school. We don't want prayer. We don't want morality. We're going to teach them secular humanism. We're going to teach them about homosexuality. We're going to jam it down their throats. We're going to make you accept it. You don't want God in school, and look what you got now. The devil's in school. And it's, it's just, you know, when is our nation going to wake up and repent? God help us. The darkness of man's mind. I don't need God. We don't need God. God don't belong in the public circle. God don't belong in the school. Separation of church and state. Well, we throw Jesus out, and this is what we get, and we get the darkness. Being darkened in their understanding. The mind of man without God is a dark thing. You say, why? Because when we're disconnected from God, when we reject God, and, and God is the source of love and holiness and truth and all goodness, when we say we don't want you, what are we left with? The depravity of our sinful nature. <laughs> we need God. And the world says, no, we don't need God. We're going to build a society without God. God doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong there. We want God out. So then we're left with the darkened understanding that we have. Romans 8, 5 through 8 shows us exactly why our minds are dark without Christ. And if you look at verse 7 and 8, you're going to see that the carnal mind is completely incapable and incompatible with God. It's incapable of pleasing God, and it's incompatible with God. Listen to Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, here it is, that Gentile mind, that mind without God, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is 
enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Man without God is immoral. Man without God is dark. Man without God is in the dark, and he's lost. With that carnal mind, we can't please God. We can't connect with God. We're estranged from him. And we see this as our society drifts away from the the moorings of the Judeo-Christian ethics that kept us a blessed nation. As we drift away, we see more and more darkness in every area of our society. The world is getting to be a crazy place. Get ready. Get ready. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Amen. You say, Pastor Rick, how long are we going to be here? I don't know, but we're, while we're here, we're going to shine the light, amen, and we're going we're gonna to preach the gospel to everyone who will listen, and we're going to save souls, amen. We're going to take them with us. <laughs> uh, if you're not excited about that, I pray you get stuck halfway in the rapture, just stuck in the middle. <laughs> Two times in Proverbs, in Proverbs 14, 12, and in Proverbs 16, 25, the scripture says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. You see, that's the, that's the being darkened in their understanding. That is the futility of their minds. That's what Proverbs is describing. What? There's a way that seems right to a man. It's man's logic. It's man's reasoning. It's man's understanding, but it, it rejects God. And so what? The way seems right, but in the, way, in the end, it's death. What does the world say? Live for yourself, please yourself, get as much as you could get, enjoy all the pleasures and treasures of life, you know, because when you die, you're gone and it's over. And we know that nothing could be further from the truth. This life is just dress rehearsal for the next, amen? We'll be judged for what we do in this body, but if we live for Jesus and we, we surrender our lives to him and we live a life to please him, eternity in heaven is going to be an awesome thing for all of us to experience amen there's people who sit in church and they don't believe this stuff there's people who sit in church and they just think the bible is just well i'll keep coming to church because it's just you know what i do but i don't believe that i don't know about heaven who knows you know you don't know nobody knows man the closer you get to him the more you get into the word the holy spirit will convince you amen He'll convince you and excite you. So, you know, we, we've got to look to that, that heavenly reward because we're not living for today. We're living for that day when Jesus comes to take us home. So the Gentiles have issues. The lost world has issues. Their understanding's darkened. You know, they, they, they operate in the futility of their minds. And number three, the third thing that we learn from the text here is that the Gentiles walk in a state of spiritual disconnection. Look what it says here. The, the text continues in 18 uh, and then into 19. It says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Did you hear that in verse 18? Excluded. What does that mean? It means that when, when we're before we come to Jesus, we are disconnected and estranged from God. We're excluded from him. Now, we've talked about this many times in church. These are the basic doctrines of Christianity, amen, that, you know, we're created in God's image, but we're, we're not God's children until we get saved and we come to Jesus Christ and invite him to be the Lord of our lives, amen? 
Everybody's made in the image of God. You can look at a, a totally lost person, even a person who does really wicked things and see the fingerprints of God on them. Why? Because they were created by God. And we're not inherently good. We're inherently lost. Why? Because we're born in original sin. And so we need to be saved. And Jesus came to save us. So it says here that the Gentiles are excluded from the life of God. That doesn't sound fun because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, the issue of sin is what disconnects us from the person of God. And, you know, we've talked about sin many times and the hammatology is the study of sin. It's the it's the theology of sin, how sin affects man, how sin uh, affects uh, you know, our spirits, how we get freed from sin, all of these things we've discussed before, but sin disconnects us from God. We know that. Being spiritually disconnected from the God of all truth is exactly what creates a universal ignorance in us. Think about before you were saved and you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you sat under the, the, the teaching of the Word. Think about the things you thought were good. When we were lost, think about the things we thought that were fun and good and what we should pursue. The things that we would want to do on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Come on. Don't start looking holy on me now out there. No, we thought, oh, this is fun. This is good. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to drink this. I'm going to smoke that. I'm going to go to the club. I'm going to hook up. Come on. Oh, he said it in church. He knows about this stuff. Yeah. But those, those behaviors were just, a, you know, the outworking of our nature. And that sin excluded us and disconnected us from God. Being spiritually disconnected creates an ignorance in us. And we don't know, you know, in a lot of ways, we, what we think is right is wrong. And what we think is a waste of time is, is really what we should be pouring our lives into. Ignorance is a really strong word. Look what it says here, excluded, that, that hurts too, from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them. Nobody likes to be described as ignorant. You know, if people said, well, what do you think of so-and-so? Well, they're ignorant. What do you think of that Pastor Rick? Real ignorant guy, really, really. No, no one want to be described as ignorant, amen? Will Rogers said, we're all ignorant just on different subjects. Isn't that true? You can have someone who's just a brilliant mind, you know, astrophysicist, a mathematician. They all know, know all this stuff. But then on another subject, you maybe you ask them about gardening, and they're like, what? Think about it. You, all of you got gifts and talents and skills and abilities, but on some subjects, amen, man, if somebody wants to sit down and talk to me about astrophysics, I, I can't even say it. I, I, Astro, that was the dog from the Jetsons. That's all I know. <laughs> right? So none of us know everything. So we're always, you know, we're always ignorant about something. The old adage, you don't know what you don't know, is really true. Well, you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, you, you think you know everything, and then someone says, what about this? And I don't know. So we don't know what we don't know. Sadly, the person who doesn't know God will believe some pretty ignorant things about God. And they'll, they'll believe some pretty ignorant things about themselves and everything in between. You see that? That's why we've got to bring people to Jesus. We've got to connect them. Oh, well, I'll just teach them. I'll just train them. I'll just tell them, man, there ain't enough time in the world. We've got to bring them to Jesus. We've got to connect them to the Father. We've got to get them filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So he can teach them and guide them and lead them into all truth. Amen. 
person who doesn't know God is going to be ignorant about God. And not knowing God is detrimental. Why? Because we can be deceived on every level. What prolongs and deepens man's disconnection from God? Look what it says, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. What prolongs this and deepens this is when people reject God's universal remedy for sin. You see, when people say, no, I don't, I don't want the church. No, I don't want Jesus. No, I'm not a sinner. No, I don't need a savior. You see, all that does is deepen the ignorance. Anybody with me tonight? The Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Amen. Now, don't say this to your unsaved friends. Because that's, that's not necessarily the way to bring people to Jesus. But the truth is, when a person, you know, comes to terms with the fact that, hey, you know, I don't know everything. I don't know spiritual things. I don't know where I'm going or I'm dying. I know this. I know that. But you know what? I don't need God. Come on, how many of us have friends, family members, loved ones, co-workers that they're just like, man, don't, don't tell me about that Jesus stuff. I don't want nothing to do with it, right? And what are they doing? They're deepening the divide between them and God. And it's, you know, it's a scary thing when people reject the only way to, to get out of the, the ignorance and to get out of the, the darkened understanding and to get out of the confusion and come out of the dark and into the light. And they say, no, I, I don't want that. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Rejecting Jesus Christ is a foolish thing to do because without him, we're stuck in the dark. You say, well, what does it mean that, you know, uh, this ignorance gets worse if we reject God. Well, just look at Pharaoh in the Old Testament as a case study. Pharaoh in the Old Testament is a perfect case study of how rejecting and refusing God will harden your heart. Pharaoh had 10 plagues to come to terms with the fact that the God of the Hebrews was the God of heaven and earth. That the gods in Egypt were just devils that they were worshiping. They were idols, but they were not the God who created the heavens and the earth. And plague after plague after plague, let my people go. Nope, hardens his heart. Let my people go. Nope, who is God that I should obey him? Hardens his heart. Over and over and over again, hardened his heart. What? Until he held the body of his own dead son in his hands and said, get out of here. I can't take you guys anymore. And then his heart was so hard at that point that he put that dead boy down and he got in his chariots and he chased them down to the sea to destroy them and God destroyed him. Wow. God's really gracious. God's really patient. God's really the type to give us chance after chance after chance. But if we reject the correction of God, if we reject the wooing of the Holy Spirit, our hearts get harder and harder every time. If the Holy Spirit's tugging on you, stop resisting him. If God's putting his finger on your life and pointing out sin where you need to repent, don't put it off to tomorrow. We should never reject God because when we do, we exclude ourselves from the blessing of God and we remain in the ignorance and deception of sin. And that's a mark of the Gentiles. Now, verse 19 Brings this all in for landing here tonight, says, and they, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecent behavior. Boy, if this doesn't sound like our generation right now, 
where people are marching in the streets because they're afraid that they might not be able to kill their babies and they're, and they're not even carrying one in their womb, but they want that right. And having become callous, having given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 19 shows us the final spiritual state of those who remain in ignorance, who say, I don't need God. I'll, I'll do this myself. We'll do this without God. They're disconnected from him, and by rejecting the wooing of the Holy Spirit that will remedy their condition, their hearts become harder, and they become four things. Number one, they become spiritually dull and insensitive. You say, where do you get that from? Becoming callous. You know what a callus does? It dulls your senses. A callus is, you know, if you have a big callus on your finger or a callus on your foot, what that skin dulls your senses and, and you're no longer sensitive anymore. When, when a person refuses God and resists God and, 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 and just rejects God, what? Their hearts become callous and they lose their spiritual sensitivity. And God says that's the final state of a person who, you know, who, who is not bowing their knee to the truth. And so the, the second thing is what? They become callous. And then the second thing is they become spiritually defeated. Look at this. Having given themselves up. Did you hear that? And they become callous having given themselves up. We're going to tell you what they give themselves up to in a minute. But did you ever meet a person who's given up? If you've met a person who's given up spiritually, what do they do? They just give themselves over to all the sin and the bondages that control their lives. I'm not trying to quit drinking. I'm not trying to quit smoking. I'm not trying to quit getting high. I'm not trying to quit my pornography. I'm not trying to quit my sexual immorality. I've just given myself over to it. It's quiet now. What a state to be in, amen? It's a mess, but you know what? With God, nothing's impossible. God can still reach down and snatch a person out. But, but verse 19 is showing us the downward spiral of sin. You know, that we become dull and insensitive, and then we, we, we don't even try anymore. We just give ourselves over. Spiritually defeated, having given themselves up. Number three, the, the fourth mark is this, spiritual bankruptcy. Listen to this. To, they give themselves up to what? Indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity. Did you hear that? Every kind of impurity. You know, the more you play with sin, the more sin gets on you and the deeper you go into sin. Sin, sin is like, you know, it's kind of like potato chips. You can't just eat one potato chip, right? You open a can of Pringles and you eat one. Put the lid back on and go to sleep. You open a bag, I'm in those, those hers, sour cream and onion potato chips. You open the bag, I hear the Holy Spirit, oh. I say a serving size is 12 chips. A serving size is a bag. I opened it, serving size. Right? You, you can't eat just one. That's the way sin is. It's not static. It doesn't just bite you. No, it gets bigger and bigger and darker and darker and deeper and deeper. I've sat, I've done pastoral counseling for almost 30 years now. I've sat with people who said, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got in this mess. I don't know how I broke my marriage. I don't know how I got so deep into this sin. One bite at a time. And look what the text says here. 
but they give themselves over to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity. And then what? They become spiritually bankrupt. And number four, the fourth thing from verse 19, it says this, and having become callous, they give themselves over to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So the last state of the person who has gone down this spiral of sin is what? They are spiritually restless and driven. Why You say, Pastor, where do you get that? Because that's what greediness is. Greedy is when we're restless about things and we're driven to get more. I need more stuff. I need more pleasure. I need more treasure. I need more time off. I need more cars. I need more homes. I need more money. I need more. I have a whole bunch, but it's not making me happy. So maybe just a little bit more will satisfy me. Maybe if I get this or, you know, maybe if I leave this person and go to this person and I upgrade that, maybe that'll make me happy. Do you see the drivenness of greed? That's a picture of the heart that's not content because it hasn't surrendered to God. When you surrender to God, he's enough to fill every desire in your heart, amen? He's, your, he's the one, amen? The only thing I need is more Jesus. I need more of the Holy Spirit, amen? I need more of the anointing, but money and cars and houses and pleasures and treasures... I'm telling you what, I'm 53 years old. I got enough stuff. I see somebody out there. Well, I'll take your stuff. I'll come over and take some of your stuff. You know what? The more stuff you get, the more. I mean, I don't even have time to maintenance all the stuff I got. Anybody get to that place? (sighs) Well, I want a house. I want to be a homeowner. You got lawns and pools and yards and rocks and trees and weed whackers and fix this and do that. Anybody want to move back in with their parents? My room's still good. Yeah, the greed and the drivenness of a person who's spiritually discontent because they've refused God, they're dull and insensitive, they're defeated because they've given themselves over to sin, they're spiritually bankrupt and in bondage to so many things, and they think, just one more, just one more thing, I need this, uh, this is going to do it for me, this is going to make me happy. And you know what? It's all smoke and mirrors, it's a lie. It's the bottom. And I pray that even in the bottom, that people around us that we see at the bottom, we can shine the light of Jesus and extend love to them, sit down with them, put your arm around them, listen to their story, but offer them Jesus because you know what? It's at the bottom where God can snatch us out and bring us out of the darkness into the light. Amen. So let me just read you the whole text tonight now that you understand every piece of it. So I say this. And affirm in the Lord that you are to no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous and have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I thank you for these verses, Lord. They paint a picture of the destructive nature of sin, the downward spiral of sin, and they give us hope. Why? Because the remedy for all of these things is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and you offer that to all of us. I thank you for everyone within the sound of my voice that knows Jesus. And I pray that if there are those here tonight that need to come know him, that they would take steps towards you, Lord, and they would surrender their lives to you, Lord, all of us, that we would get right with you. Father, that we wouldn't solve things in our own understanding, in our own, you know, intellectual capacity, but we'd allow you to be the Lord of our lives. That we would reject uh, the way of the Gentiles, the way of the world, the way of lost humanity. That we wouldn't live uh, disconnected from you, but Lord, that we would humble ourselves and invite you to be Savior and Lord. Because in that, there's freedom. And we don't have to go through the downward spiral of sin. We don't have to hit the bottom. But Lord, we can come to you and be right with you now because of what Jesus has done. Let's just take a moment to do a spiritual inventory in our lives and just, if there's anything that we need to repent of, anything that we need to let go of, anything that we need to be delivered from, let's bring it to the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Set your people free and help us to be a light to those that are hurting all around us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus.